Well, here's a conversation starter. Dan is our church, keeping us from our God-given full potential. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, hey, our sponsor today is Fresh Books. You can get a free 30-day unrestricted trial. Just go to freshbooks.com slash 48 days. Enter 48 days in the How Did You Hear About Us section, and you'll get their accounting software. Help you stay up to date with invoices, keeping on track of your inventory, all those cool things you need to do, no matter what it is you're doing. Even if you have just a little side hustle, you need to be on top of that. I'll tell you more about that here shortly. Well... This is 48 Days Radio. Each week we take 48 minutes approximately to dive into real life questions about finding your passion, deciding what kind of life you want to live, then finding or creating work that allows you to show up every day. Excited to be able to do something that's more meaningful, fulfilling, and profitable. Well, that expands over into some pretty interesting areas. We got a whole lot of those lined up today. As I said in the opener, is our church keeping us from our God-given full potential? Well, here's some other questions we're going to be looking at. Although I'm trying to get certified as a trainer soon, I'm still lacking enough education for me to feel like I can successfully work with clients. Dan, my dream is to open an agri- an organic natural bakery with pastries, custom decorated cakes, and also maybe some organic cafe items. Dan, I'm wearing out in my current career, but I've decided to make the best of it for another 18 months when I qualify for a full retirement. And a young lady says, I believe both my fiance and I can both get to a point where we can move into art and singing full time. We'll talk about the possibilities there. Somebody says, Dan, I can't for the life of me figure out how to to monetize my passions. I love Bible and theology. Well, golly, got a lot of these that seem to uh, delve into the uh, theological area today. Perhaps it had to do something with the last week. I addressed a question where a young man wanted to know if he should go get a PhD or pursue being a pastor. Just recently been relieved of his responsibilities as a pastor. You know, the things that we do to make us grow, you know, may look to others like doubt. Here's our quotation for today. This comes from Frederick Beckner, wonderful theologian, who says, doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. They keep it awake and moving. And here's our little poem for today from Cliff Feitner, who wrote 48 poems that we can draw from each week and adds more with my blogs each week, it seems. Thanks to Cliff for those. But here's one. You should do things a different way, but about it, you tell them you'll pray. Will it be scored as advice from the Lord or putting it off till another day? Wow. Draws from some of the writing that I do in 48 Days to the Work You Love about. Sometimes saying that you'll pray about a decision is just a politically correct way to procrastinate and not make any decision at all. Well, coming up, I mentioned last week, our friend Cliff Ravenscraft's upcoming podcasting um, two-day event, actually a a one-and-a-half-day event, going to be June 16th and 17th. 
If you want to build a business around your podcasting, and we know that's becoming more and more popular. You know, I'm just thrilled with the explosion of podcasting and what it means. It's replacing terrestrial radio. In a lot of ways, the big players on radio are seeing the possibilities in podcasting. Publishers are recognizing that podcasters have loyal audiences, more so than radio these days. So podcasters, we get um, we get hammered with um, request to have guests on, to promote books and all of those things. Well, I'm delighted to be in that space. Cliff will teach you how to do that and how to do it with excellence. I go back to Cliff repeatedly for uh, expertise in his area. He is the Podcast Answer Man. If you go to podcastanswerman.com slash next level workshop, You'll see the details about this event he's got coming up at his beautiful new home up there just outside Cincinnati, Ohio. So check it out June 16th, 17th. Again, podcastanswerman.com slash next level workshop. Well, let me let me tell you about fresh books here a little bit. I got a little clip here I want to play. I'll talk to you a little bit about that and then we'll move into our questions. So you're racing against the clock to wrap up three projects, prepping for a meeting later in the afternoon all while trying to tackle a mountain of paperwork. Welcome to life as a freelancer. Challenging? Yeah, but our friends at FreshBooks believe the rewards are so worth it. The working world has changed. With the growth of the internet, there's never been more opportunities for being self-employed. Now, to meet this need, FreshBooks is excited to announce the launch of an all-new version of their cloud accounting software. It's been redesigned from the ground up and custom-built for exactly the way you work. Get ready for the simplest way to be more productive, organized, and most importantly, get paid quickly. The all-new FreshBooks is not only ridiculously easy to use, it's also packed full of powerful features. You can create and send professional-looking invoices in less than 30 seconds. Set up online payments with just a couple of clicks and get paid up to four days faster. You can see when your client has seen your invoice and put an end to the guessing games. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to my listeners. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com slash 48 days and enter 48 days in the how did you hear about us section. Now, last week, got a response here uh, from Adam who said, I heard you mention on the show about people can use, can upload t-shirt designs to companies like Zazzle and offer them for sale. We talked about that. Somebody wanted to know how they could test t-shirt designs without having to go through the expense of having them printed and then hope somebody buys them. Well, yeah, go to Zazzle and I gave a couple other resources last week as well, where you design them, no cost at all. And then if people buy them, then you get a share of the profits. Zazzle will handle taking order, taking printing, shipping returns, and the designer just gets paid. Well, Adam says, I love this. Absolutely love this. What he's sharing here. I wanted to let you know that for the last 18 months or so, I've been doing the same thing with physical products. I designed for old Jeep Cherokees. I designed some switch panels in a free computer aided design and then uploaded them to shapeways.com. I set the price, do a little bit of marketing on forums and Instagram, and then Shapeways 3D prints the product on demand, ships it to the customer. Now, let me explain a little bit. I went to Adam's site. So if you have like the toggle switches on your dashboard for the radio or air conditioning controls, well, what if that panel in the back gets destroyed or discolored or broken or whatever, which certainly often happens. I've had cars where that's the case. What Adam's doing is designing that new switchblade, not just going to where you can, you know, a lot of old 
parts like that are no longer available from the manufacturer. So he did the design and it's just put in a 3D package where when somebody then orders it, then it's printed on demand. I love that. For something like that, he says he set the price, you know, did a little bit of marketing. He set up a domain where people can go directly to his shop. It's xjswitchpanels.com. XJ, of course, is the Jeep model code for Cherokees made in particular year range. It's a great service. There's little downside for me as a designer. If I had gone, now listen to this because this really applies to some of the questions that I'm going to go right into here as well. Sometimes when we think we have an idea, we immediately think, well, gee, I've got to manufacture it. I've got to have a storehouse. I've got to have a you know, warehouse where I'm stocking inventory. We make it way too complicated. He says, this is a great service. There's very little downside for me as a designer. If I had gone a more traditional manufacturing route using injection molding, a single design would have required between thirty dollars and $50,000 initial investment due to the complexity of the design. But being able to 3D print my designs allowed me to go to market after spending only $250 on prototypes. And he says, after 18 months, I've made about $10,000, which would have been devastating if I had invested $50,000. Instead, it's almost pure profit. I did the work once and I'm on the way to getting paid 10,000 times. Now, how stinking cool is that? I love that. Just had an end goal in mind, but instead of making it complex, found a very efficient route to go where he puts the design up. And this is not, you know, t-shirts, funky quotations or whatever. These are switch panels. So it's, it's a more mundane kind of thing. But if somebody else isn't doing it and it provides a need, and we know there's a lot of old Jeep Cherokee owners out there. I mean, how stinking cool is that? Adam, I love your idea. Thanks for sharing that here. Well, and to the rest of you, if you've got a success story or uh, or a question, you can go to the Ask Dan link on 48days.com to leave your question. Or as you know, just shoot an email to me at askdan at 48days.com. Love to hear your question or share your success story. Last week, I also talked about Billy, who was the one that said, I recently got fired. Should I find another job as a pastor? Get my PhD or what? Well, we kind of walked through. I did not encourage Billy to go back to the um, members of the previous congregation and asked them for donations for him to get a PhD. I didn't think that was a, a viable idea, but thought he could go ahead and get a PhD and thought that he should based on what he was talking about. But uh, just find creative ways to finance that for sure. Uh, these, um, and I got a note from Billy. He says, I really appreciate the time you took in your last podcast to address my questions. Your responses were helped to me and I hope they were to help to others as well. Per your advice, I will be pursuing a PhD and I'll find some alternative ways to pay for it. Thank you very much. I love your show. Keep up with the good work. Well, thanks for giving us an update, Billy, on your decision-making process. Billy has a tagline in his email that is helping the believer to think and the thinker to believe. That's really cool. That is a really cool statement, helping the believer to think and the thinker to believe. What worthy goals on both ends of that equation. Paul says, I heard you talk about marketing, consulting, and training services to companies through clever mailings, like sending the rubber frog with a tagline about kissing a lot of these before finding a prince. Can you explain this process or recommend additional resources? 
I have a professional training company that I want to grow by targeting the best clients for my services. Sure. Paul, it's a service that, that is called Nurture Marketing. Uh, Jim Cecil, the CEO of that, um, has made a lot of money helping companies get into companies where they want to have impact. This is the process that I used when I wanted to do leadership development workshops. So I had a leadership development workshop, basically a debriefing of the DISC profile, but it was a three-hour workshop. I was charging $3,500. This was years ago. And so I identified about 100, 120 companies here in the Nashville area that would be potential users of that workshop sent things to them every month. So every month they'd get something from me. And it was those clever marketing. You know, I could have one, I had a, a dollar bill paper clipped to the letter, you know, and having the wrong people, you know, in the places in your company is removing these from the bottom line, you know, something like that, the little frog I sent. Uh, lots of things that I would do every month just somehow to keep myself on the radar. And that filled my schedule booked me as busy as I wanted to be with companies like National Federation of Independent Business, General Electric, um, Deutsche Bank. I mean, lots of companies like that that would bring me in for that leadership training, but it was based on the nurture marketing notices that I was sending out every month. If you go to nurturemarketing.com, they got a spectacular website. There are a lot of free resources there on how to get those client companies, but that's what I would recommend. You can get exactly what you want there. Dave says, my wife has said for years, I should get people to pay me for my ideas. And although she was half joking, I think she was half serious. Give me an hour with any small business and I can develop two dozen ideas to increase their business online. I'm curious if you think there's a market for this and what the quickest path to success would be. I should warn you, I'm a very high I and a strong D in the disc profile. So dreaming and directing come naturally. Following through and bean counting, not so much. How would you recommend finding business owners to work with? What would be a good pricing structure and model? Would there be any opportunities for passive or residual income? All right, now let me kind of direct you in a little bit different way, Dave, on this. When you talk about having ideas, if you were to come into 48 days and you have ideas for how we could increase our online business, certainly that has value. But it's not something that I'm going to pay you an exorbitant amount for because Frankly, we have, we have a whole lot of people on our team who have great ideas. We have a whole lot of people who just share ideas with us. And we have, uh, and I know it's not something that I would pay you big dollars for or on a continuing basis. So it kind of defies a couple of things that you're looking for here. But let's take a, let's say that you've got an idea that would benefit a lot of small businesses. Let me give you a real example. David Osk is a friend of mine, lives here in the Nashville area. David is a facility manager for Verizon, so he has a regular job, but he's also very inventive. He's also an amazing musician, but that's another story, but he, he's an inventor. So he put together, he invented, he designed a clear thermostat cover that locks. So you can visualize this like in a restaurant, instead of letting customers go up there and change the temperature and 10 of them have different opinions, no, it locks. But people in there who are in management have the combination. This is done with the combination. Well, as being done with the combination rather than a key, he got a lot of receptivity for that. He sold over 4000 on Amazon and started to get inquiries from places like Home Depot. And I told him, I said, David, if you're getting inquiries from places like that and they realize this is really a good application to have a combination lock 
little scroll combination lock on the bottom of a clear thermostat cover, you've got about an 18 month window of opportunity before other people are just going to step into the space and do that. So you got to partner with somebody who has connections with those big box retailers already. It's going to be very difficult for Home Depot to deal with you as having one product, one individual, one product. That's not the way they like to work. Costco, Sam's Club, same thing. They're going to work with an individual who brings them 300 products that they are a broker for. So David connected with a company out of Atlanta that is an agency. That's what it's called. It's an agency. They loved his idea. They worked out a quick licensing agreement. He's got amazing margins in this, having already set up getting production done in China. Beautiful boxes, the designs, the whole thing. So they just kind of took his system that he'd already worked on to get in place. But now they, their opening order with, with a Home Depot was 10,000 units and are contacting other companies, Lowe's as well. So he's going to get a percentage of that. That is an idea where he'll get ongoing commissions, residual income, and he doesn't have to pick up the phone every day and call 30 small business owners and say, Hey, I've got an idea that'll fit you. I like the idea that is scalable like that, where it has a big potential. Got another friend, Bernie, who's down in Florida, who developed an idea. It's actually too complicated to explain, but it's uh, pretty simple when you see it drawn out, has to do with the toilet. And uh, I've connected him with the same people and he's working to license his idea there. Now, a couple of things about having ideas like this, and again, there's a lot of potential in this. If you go to inventright.com, now this may not be uh, in line with some of the things that you are mentioning here, Dave, where you have ideas to increase your online business. I mean, that's certainly an, an area where I get you know 10 things presented to me a day, it seems, how to increase our online business. So I'm not sure if it'll fit, but if you have things that are more physical inventions, go to inventright.com. Very legit. That's Stephen Key. Stephen's been around a long time in this space. His book, the best book that I can recommend, and I send this to a lot of people who have invention ideas, the book is One Simple Idea, Turning Your Dreams into a Licensing Goldmine While Letting Others Do the Work. Uh, updated in 2015, but One Simple Idea by Stephen Key, K-E-Y. That is the book that I recommend in that space. So yeah, you can get paid for your ideas. Um, Don't quit your day job just yet, but get some of those things in place. I've got a young endodontist, a specialized dentist, who has some invention ideas. I've connected him with Stephen Key, the same thing. He's got a provisional patent on one and is moving forward now to license that. And we've got about four or five others in the hopper right behind that. So I want him to do the same thing with those, get it to the point where he can get a provisional patent at least, and then license those ideas so others take care of the manufacturing, distribution, and all that. Great question. Golly, I hope that's helpful to lots of you who have ideas that ought to be pursued, but you don't have to, you know, set up a manufacturing plant. You don't have to get those, all those injection molds and things. So these questions really help lay out the simplicity of putting legs on your ideas today. If you take that part of the action. All right, Donna says, hi, Dan, I'm currently a teacher, but eventually want to work in the fitness and nutrition field. I would like to start working in that field as soon as possible because it's something that I really enjoy. Although I'm trying to get certified as a trainer soon, I'm still lacking enough education for me to feel like I can successfully work with clients. 
I feel that I know a lot more than the average person being that I have worked with a trainer myself and I've done my own research on nutrition and exercise when possible. But I'm someone who always wants to do the best job possible and feel I can't without more education. What advice do you have on how to get started in a field quickly while still learning the trade and not having a lot of experience? Don, I love your question. When you say... I am still lacking enough education for me to feel like I can successfully work with clients. What does that mean? When will you know that you have enough education? When will getting more education be enough for you to get started? If you're coming to me and I've got some things, I mean, I'm working with a nutrition trainer right now. Got some things that I'm working on. He is very clear that he's had experience in this year. I didn't ask about his degrees, his training, his certification, accreditation, nothing. I just know some of the people he's worked with. And I said, man, we work with me. I mean, some of the things we're doing are astounding. He said, no, don't do that in this situation. You know, do this. And I want you to get these supplements and I want you to put this in your smoothie. I mean, all those things. And I'm following it to the T because I'm seeing some dramatic results with him. The people that you're going to work with are not going to be impressed by your education, your degree certification. My advice is get started now. I mean, the last thing I want in a coach, an accountant, a nutrition counselor, fitness trainer is someone who has a whole lot of book knowledge and no real life experience working with people. Now, this comes back, Donna, to what I talk about a lot on here, where people are waiting to get involved and they're going to start a new business. And so they've only got 15 hours a week. And so they're going to continue to learn more and more and more. And 18 months later, they've gone to seven conferences and read 67 books and they've never gotten a paying client. That to me, you're not in business. You haven't done anything. You're in business when you have a paying client. So if I go back to that 15 hours a week that I talk about, I mean, you can make massive progress in three to six months with your business as a fitness and nutrition trainer if you split that time in somewhat this fashion. I would encourage you to spend three hours a week continuing to read, study, gathering new knowledge, more education, three hours a week if you have 15 hours to spend. Five hours actually creating content. What would a program look like if you're going to work with somebody? What would a course outline look like if you're going to work with somebody in nutrition and fitness? Five hours on that. Four hours then working directly with clients. I mean, tell people today that you can help them. Identify things that you see people doing that really are self-defeating. And say, you know, have you ever thought about trying this? Have you ever thought about making some different decisions in that area that could really increase your health and fitness and your energy level? I mean, be prepared to talk to people about that. So four hours working directly with clients, and I would encourage you to start today. Three hours then, marketing your efforts to build your brand and reputation. So there you've got 15 hours, but only three of the 15 hours to gather new in- information. I would not recommend that you spend 15 hours a week just getting more information. You won't be any closer to having a real business a year from now than you are today. But with these four things, that'll keep your all the parts moving forward nicely. And your knowledge and experience will grow both at the same time. That's what you want. I mean, I, I've been coaching people for 25 years. 
So does that mean that I have all the knowledge that I need? I mean, I've taken all kinds of workshops, seminars, you know, courses, programs, and all that. No, that doesn't mean that I stop accumulating knowledge. I still have this split in my own time where I still allocate time to just reading, studying, gather new knowledge. But I've been actually coaching people as well for 25 years. So because of my success in coaching and having a waiting list of people who want to get in for coaching, does that mean that I feel like I don't need to continue my education? And No, I continue it anyway. Knowledge and experience can both grow at the same time. You can do that. Guy, let me know you're, well, let me know when you pulled the trigger and got in the game. You know, a lot of this desire for, per, for perfection is just fear mask is procrastination. That's what it is. It's not the markets telling you you're not ready. It's not customers, potential customers telling you're not ready. It's just you allowing your fear to slow you down. So take a fresh look at that. Get through that little obstacle and start coaching people pronto. Christine says, I'm a 23-year-old nutritional consultant with a strong belief in health and wellness. Not only that, but I always have had a passion for food. My dream is to open an organic natural bakery with pastries, custom decorated cakes, and also maybe some organic cafe items. There is nowhere like this in this area for at least 15 miles. I strongly believe this would be a hit. However, I'm lost financially. I don't have a lot saved up. And definitely not enough for a lease in a building. I've considered an online business, but it's not really what I have in mind for a company like this. I want to be the go-to bakery in the company. Are there any tips you could give me about how I could make my dream into a reality? Thank you. Absolutely, Christine. Love what you want to do. 23 years old. Nutritional consultant. Want to have organic, natural bakery. But when you lay your dream out there, you imply, okay, you want to have a store that people can walk into and you want to have it from day one. That is a recipe for disaster. I would not encourage you to do that. I would encourage you to stair-step this by starting to create these organic natural bakery items that you want to do. Pastries, custom decorated cakes. Do those and provide those for existing outlets, restaurants, I mean, I know a lady who started doing that with brownies and pies, and she supplies local restaurants in the area. I mean, even places like, you know, O'Charlie's, some of the chains, you know, don't think that they just use their own internal sources. They do a lot of local sourcing for things like this. You can do that. So be the provider, but don't put yourself in competition with all those other places, and don't put yourself in a position where you have immense debt to open the doors before you've even tried the idea to see what your customers like. Now, here's how you can do this. Incidentally, there's a book out. There's a brand new book. Christy Wright, who's on Dave Ramsey's team, has a book, Business Boutique. And I would highly recommend you get that. It's a woman's guide for making money doing what she loves because she profiles some ladies who did exactly what you're talking about doing, who they wanted to... provide organic natural bakery items. And she talks about how they did that. But I'll tell you one of the ways that I've seen people do this again and again and again, to have items that you sell commercially that are sold in places like if it's Galway, you know, local restaurants, if it is Chili's or 
what did I mention? Or Famous Dave's or uh, Oh Charlie's, whatever it is. The other items are controlled in terms of how they're prepared. You have to be in a commercial kitchen. Well, that can be a big obstacle. Having your kitchen approved as a commercial kitchen may be a big deal. Well, some of the things that Christy outlines in Business Boutique and that I've seen people do successfully is find a commercial bakery where they're doing what they do. So they use it eight hours a day. Rent the, rent the facility, the commercial kitchen, for a few hours when they're not typically open. You can do that at very little expense and just try your ideas in that way. Now, here's another way that's kind of a ramping up of that. A friend of mine, Jose Gonzalez, here in Nashville, started an organization called Conexion Americas 15 years ago now. That has grown into an, a major economic force here in Nashville. But one of the new things they have is Casa Azafran. Uh, Mi casa es su casa. I went to the grand opening of Casa Azafran um, a couple months ago, and uh, they had raised a ton of money, and they opened this kitchen where now they can have 50 different businesses that operate out of there. And during the grand opening, there were a whole lot of men there working. There's somebody who just makes popcorn, you know, somebody who makes the little um, empanadas. I mean, there are, there are a lot of uh, ethnic dishes that are being made there. But here we have, you know, gals who could never afford to have their own commercial kitchen. They could never afford to open up their own restaurant or bakery, which I would not recommend they do, but they use this kitchen and then they have food trucks or they just take things out. We had a gal, my last mastermind meeting had a gal who I wanted a recommendation and Jose recommended this gal and she provided a real high-end Mexican meal for my mastermind. It was outrageous. It was, I mean, it had food items that I had never heard of, uh, even though I can't pronounce the name, just food items I'd never heard of, the things that were being made. But it was amazing. And she's one of the ones that uses this kitchen, one of the 50 that uses this kitchen. So do that to stair-step your way up into the business, where then after you have a track record of things that people are just craving, yeah, then look at the idea of having your own physical location. But that comes way down the road. And frankly, that's something I would be very, very, very cautious about doing. All right, this comes from Nick. Dan, is my church keeping me from my God-given potential? My wife and I are unhappy with the church we attend. Most of the people there aren't like those we want to be like. That's the first clue. It's a smaller church where, which has been through a lot and the people are a bit down and out. Also, doctrinally, this church and its denomination takes somewhat of a negative view on the Christian faith, which I don't agree with. Here's my dilemma. I know there's no church that is the perfect church. However, I know the significant impact of those we spend time with and what we listen to and what that has on us. Is our church keeping us from our God-given full potential? Should we find another church? I struggle with knowing people would be disappointed if we left. Well, I would... I would encourage you, Nick, to respond to the things you're already sensing. Don't try to just bury those doubts and the uncertainty and the unrest and the frustration and disappointment that you don't just try to bury that and say, well, you know, we're just going to bite our lip for two hours on Sunday morning and endure this. No, respond to that. I mean, there's a term that I talk about a lot, divine discontent. And it's the thing that often God uses in our whatever situation in life, certainly in our work. 
we're, we're frustrated with it. If that's a constant, ongoing frustration, disappointment, don't just think, well, this is my lot in life. This is my cross to bear. No, take it as a message from God to explore new opportunities. And I think the same thing is true with your church. I have no idea what your church is, where it is, who it is. I'm, I'm not offending anybody in particular here, but I'm just saying your own unrest. When you say most of the people there aren't like those we want to be like, wow, that violates a basic concept of excellence. And that is spend time with people who are already performing at the level which you want to perform. The old Jim Rohn quote, you know, you become the average of the five people you spend the most time with. If you're spending time with people who are not like you want to become, you're changing who you are. You're becoming more like those people because you spend time with them. Now, I'm going to go back to our quotation for today. You know, in that, I used a quotation from Frederick Beckner. Doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. They keep it awake and moving. You know, doubts are legitimate, even if it relates to our faith. They're the thing that can prompt us to dig deeper, to seek, to explore, and to grow. We ought to welcome that in our spiritual walk. We don't get to a place in our spiritual walk where we should just put on blinders and not change. Just like I was talking about, am I a better coach today than I was 25 years ago? I hope so. You know what? I hope I'm a better coach today than I was six months ago because of my continued growth and development. I'm not the same person I was 25 years ago. You don't want to be either. Now, what that means, that may mean that you do change some friendships. You do change the people that you spend time with. And that can often mean people change churches. I mean, gone are the days of people just having denominational loyalty where because a sign is in front of a church announcing a particular denomination, you know, you go there. No, people are looking for church, for more personal connection with churches than that. I'd encourage, since both you and your wife are feeling this anyway, absolutely embrace that. Give yourselves six months to just think and explore. There may be times when you visit another church, but don't just go out and just quickly just start visiting other churches, hoping to find one that's a little better. I'd encourage you to take three months and go nowhere. Spend Sunday mornings just going deep in your own searching. Read together, search together, listen to things together, and decide yourselves what it is you're looking for, why you've been unhappy, and just enjoy the restful experience that a Sabbath morning can be when you're not rushing to get somewhere in a building, crowd the kids in a pew and sit there, you know, for 58 minutes and, you know, don't do any thinking on your own. I mean, just welcome a new, change the experience so significantly that it really forced you to decide what are we looking for in a church experience? I've had a lot of doubt in my own spiritual walk which I absolutely love because it does prompt me to read, to study, to talk to other people, to explore. I mean, I love that process. I never want to get to the point where, boom, I've got it all figured out and don't do anything. Not at all. Don't want to get there. When, when our son was not, now I started off, you know, when I was young, when I was golly, 22, 23 years old, newly married, new little baby, 
I was convinced that I was not going to subscribe to any kind of theology that I couldn't really understand and explain. Gee, rock and roll, Dan Miller. That's likely to happen. Well, and I really rejected things that I couldn't easily understand. And then we had this little baby. We had this little baby boy. And I saw this absolute hysterical enjoyment as we approached holidays, you know, Christmas and Easter, Thanksgiving, and saw this little boy enjoying these things that he couldn't understand or explain. You couldn't understand, explain Santa coming down the chimney. I never tried to explain that and pretty much avoided that topic because it was one of those things that was not easy to explain. But in seeing the enjoyment that my little boy had, it caused me to take a fresh look at my own sense of understanding and knowing. And I decided, you know what? The things that bring us wonder, awe, and mystery are things that add a great element to our lives. And it allowed me to be way more fluid with my faith walk than I'd ever been before. It allowed me to enjoy things in ways that I had never been able to enjoy them before. What I'm telling you is embrace your doubt and be convinced that this is going to be a growing time for you. You're going to grow deeper. This is not, you don't, don't need to be concerned about, gee, you're going to end up just, you know, being out there on your own, you know, no connection with anybody. Else. No, I don't anticipate that's where you're going to end up at all. See, this is a period of growth where you'll be more confident about what you believe and why. I mean, that the kind of narrow, tight theology that my parents had was a stimulant for me to really look at things that I could be equally committed to. And I value that tradition. My beliefs theologically and engagement in the faith community are much, much different than my parents were. That's okay. I love the process that it challenged me to walk through, and I would be mortified if I had just somehow resigned myself to doing exactly as they had always done. So I encourage you in this process. I think you can come out the other side, and and it's not a a destination point. I think this is the beginning of an ongoing journey that will make you much more excited about your own faith journey. There's a quotation I heard recently. It says, we need to listen at the edges of our understanding if we understand everything too clearly, we're probably thinking way too narrowly. It's when we recognize there's a whole lot of things we don't understand that we can kind of recognize and be assured that we're in a growth period. That's when it happens. Great question. Well, we got some others that are kind of close to that coming up here. We'll see if we can get to them. Gwendolyn says, well, this is kind of different. My question is about non-disclosure agreements. I have an internet fitness related business idea that is so simple and such a no-brainer that I can't believe no one is doing it, but it will require me to partner with one or more fitness people. I know that once it gets out there, others will begin to do it too. As I approach fitness people, I want to protect the concept. Do non-disclosure agreements protect me in a case like this? Yeah, they do. You, you can use NDAs, non-disclosure agreements. You can pull one up. You can just Google it and pull up a form. Not a big deal at all. But the real protection for your idea is to take action. Non-disclosure just, you know, mires you down in the mud. You know, I don't know what you would have as an idea where that would really be a big deal. If you want to do that, that's fine. But the protection, again, for your idea is to do something with it. Now, I also would caution you about 
saying that you need to partner with one or more fitness people. Be careful about partnering in a legal sense. You know, I know people who, as soon as they get an idea, they find somebody else who has a little bit of knowledge in that area. And so they say, well, you know, let's just split this 50, 50. We'll be partners in our business. That's a horrible, horrible choice to do. Don't do that. You can have somebody else who lends their expertise to it and say, look, in this project, you know, I'll bring you in. You help me develop the computer software program for this or whatever. And you get 15% of the proceeds on this for the next 24 months. I mean, do something I've got. I I had this question recently with a, a gentleman I'm working with. He was blown away as I started to describe the creative ways that I compensate people in my business and put that together. Maybe someday I'll, I'll explore, I'll, I'll share more of those. I'm getting ready to do a presentation to my mastermind on that, all the creative things that I'm doing to compensate people outside of legal partnerships. Legal partnerships are very, very tough to get out of and usually end up with people that are disappointed. So don't do that, but just take action. Move forward with your internet fitness-based idea. Have a clear plan, move forward, bring people in as you need them and share profitability with them. Uh, without making them partners. Betsy says, Dan, I'm worrying out in my current career, but I've decided to make the best of it for another 18 months when I qualify for a full retirement. Then I'll do work I really love. How best can I expand the principles of 48 days to the work I love to fit my time period? Well, let me give you a couple of resources. A couple other questions I want to get to here. Second Act Careers by Nancy Colomer is a great resource for this. 50 plus ways to profit from your passions during semi-retirement. So I would recommend that. And then also there's one that I recently did a forward for, uh, written by Hans Finzel, Launch Your Encore, Finding Adventure and Purpose Later in Life. So just check those out, two books, Second Act Careers and Launch Your Encore that I would recommend for that. So you use the next 18 months that time will pass in the blink of an eye. So use that time to get fired up about what it is that you're going to move into at the end of that period of time. Marilyn says, Dan, my fiance and I are getting married in a month and I've been trying to think of ways to make extra income. We both have minimum wage jobs and our income is pretty pitiful. I'm trying to use my art to help us, but I can't seem to convince my fiance that he can use his awesome singing talent to do the same. He's stuck in the mind frame of what's normal that you're supposed to hate your job and your dream job is just that a dream. I believe we can both get to a point where we can move into art and singing full time. I've tried to come up with some ideas for him, like giving vocal lessons or singing at weddings, but he's not interested. He's already involved in singing groups in our community. Do you have any words of wisdom? Well, with this, be careful about forcing your art and your music to be your primary or only source of income. Now, as much as I talk about following your passion, and I certainly believe that, there are some things that fit well in what we call that 10% entrepreneur mode. There's some things that are intended to be productive, fulfilling hobbies that we have. And sometimes too quickly trying to force that. When When you have minimum wage jobs, I would encourage you to get better jobs do that. What skills do you have that would lend themselves to better jobs? I would encourage you to do that first. Now, can you keep developing your art? Absolutely. Elizabeth Gilbert wrote the book, Eat, Love, Pray. She wrote three books that were New York Times bestsellers, all while working a regular job. She wasn't in any big hurry 
to just be paid as an author only. Here's, here's what she describes in talking about your day job in the book, Big Magic. Elizabeth says, I never held on to those other, or I held on to those other sources of income for so long because I never wanted to burden my writing with the responsibility of paying for my life. I knew better than to ask this of my writing because over the years I've watched so many other people murder their creativity by demanding that their art pay the bills. I've seen artists drive themselves broke and crazy because of this insistence that they are not legitimate creators unless they can exclusively live off their creativity. And when their creativity fails them, meaning doesn't pay the rent, they descend into resentment, anxiety, or even bankruptcy. Worst of all, they often quit creating at all. I know a lot of very gifted artists and musicians, Marilyn, who are continuing to use those. And David Osk is an example. David is, I mean, Joanne puts him above, you know, Josh Groban, above some of the best name names out there. His singing is absolutely amazing. I ought to pull up a clip. I'll maybe do that next time. Pull up a clip and play out of David. His singing is absolutely breathtaking. But he's full-time facility manager at Verizon, and he's doing these inventions on the side. I mean, he's making money in some really creative ways. They built a beautiful new house back in the woods for him and his family. He would have had a hard time doing that with his music, inasmuch as he's certainly competent and talented, gifted in that area, but he just never has forced his music to pay for his life in the terms of Elizabeth Gilbert. Make sure that you've got a realistic plan for what this looks like. Don't put yourself in a position where you end up resenting the fact that you aren't being paid enough for your art and your music. Go ahead and continue. But also, the real job should not be something where you're miserable. No, don't do that. Real job should not be something where you're miserable. My goodness. Well, let me grab one more here. I want to get to this one. Bill says, you say to follow your passions. Again, we're right back to that issue. I like that, but I can't for the life of me figure out to monetize my passions. I love Bible and theology. I occasionally preach and teach, and I love it when I get the opportunity. I always get great feedback from it. How do I make money with this? I'm 36 with no formal education above a diploma. I've been a square peg in a round hole for the last 18 years working in the trades. I enjoy what I do. I've learned to like it. I'm good at it but it's not what I'm passionate about. And I can't make my passion work financially. We're always struggling. Well, last week, Bill, I talked about the fact that of all the degreed professions in America, the two lowest paid professions are in this order, pastor and teacher. And you say explicitly, those are the two things that you love, preaching and teaching. Boy, and to move into that full-time I mean, don't expect to do that. Don't expect to do that full time. Expect that you can do that on the side, but find out something that you can do. If it is the trades, then do it well. Do it with your head held high, provide for your family, and keep the others on the side. Don't try to just push those things into the forefront in a way that just frustrates you even more. I've got more questions here about this this week, about wanting to be in full-time student ministry, youth ministry. Boy, the questions just go on and on and on in that arena. I don't know if last week, the fact that I pulled up very a very poignant question about a guy getting fired as a pastor has stimulated all these, and I welcome them bring them on. We'll talk about them. We'll talk about how to frame them, how to blend your faith with your daily work. 
how to blend your passion, your art, your music, those creative talents that you've got. Yeah, we want those to be a part, but we want a realistic plan about how to bring these together so you've got that sweet convergence of passion, talent, and money without initiating increased frustration. That's not what we want. Don't want increased frustration. We want decreased frustration as you figure out how to make this work. Sometimes we're talking about multiple components. We're not talking about you do one thing and one thing only. We're talking about doing multiple things. And if you have something that you could do well where you provide for your family, provide an income, fantastic. Congratulations. Don't burn the boat. Don't kill the golden goose. Let's look at how to build those other things. And sometimes things are not intended to move into full time. They're always intended to be great, beautiful complements of a balanced, fulfilling, meaningful life. I mean, I love old cars. I love tinkering on cars. I'm not going to try to make that the thing that I do to generate income. No, I've figured out better ways to do it. That's a passion. That's a hobby. We have bees in our property. I'm learning about that. I don't intend to become a full-time beekeeper. Not going to happen. Well, hey, keep the questions coming. Shoot them in to me at askdan at 48days.com. Our next live event is Coaching with Excellence in August, the end of August. That's our last one for the year. Love to see you come for that. Thanks for being part of this growing community. Check out the 48 Days Eagles as well, where people are finding or creating work that is meaningful, fulfilling, purposeful, and profitable. 